We're going to be in the book of Hosea this morning. So if you want to turn there, we're going to jump around a little bit, but we'll be in the first three chapters. If you're using a pew Bible this morning, that's page 751 is where we'll start. As I mentioned, we've, we're in the minor prophets. And, uh, and as I mentioned earlier, there, we don't spend, typically, we don't spend a lot of time in the, in the minor prophets for sure. Um, but it has been so good for me these last weeks to, to, to really, to read through them and, and to, and to try to figure out what can I share from those. And in the midst of that, I, as I, as I looked through Hosea, I was reminded again of these first three chapters of this story of Hosea and, and it is so good. And so I wanted to share with you this, this story of Hosea again and, and help you to see it and to, and to really to rejoice in God's love for us. Hosea is a story of, of love. Hosea is, is a story of, of passionate and committed love. And sometimes, sometimes passionate and committed love, it makes us, it makes us squirm a little bit. It makes us, it makes us cringe. You, you, you probably right now are thinking, oh my goodness, I can't believe we're going to talk about the book of Hosea. Because it, it makes you a little bit nervous. Our, our, our Scandinavian, Norwegian, German roots, they, they aren't about passionate love. You, you've probably heard the story about, about the, the, the man who said, I told her on my wedding day that I loved her and I'll let her know if it changes. That's the kind of love that, that we like to show. Or the, the story of, of that same woman in that relationship. She's, she's at the very end of her life. She just has a couple of breaths left and she wants to tell her husband how much she loves him. And, and so she waves him forward and he gets down and he puts his ear right to her lips and she says, as her dying words, there's meatloaf in the freezer. That's how we show. That's how we show love. And so when we start to talk about, about Hosea chapter 1, uh, in, in verse 2 really is where we start. He says, the Lord first speaks to Hosea and says to Hosea, Go, take yourself a wife of whoredom and the children of whoredom for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord, we start to squirm and wiggle a little bit. Because passionate and committed love is something that makes us a little bit uncomfortable. But Hosea is a story of passionate and committed love. And even more than that, the story of Hosea is about betrayal and about restoration. As we read in chapter 1, verse 2, God tells Hosea, he begins the story by telling Hosea to go and to take a wife, an adulterous wife. And not just an adulterous wife, not just one who, who has cheated, but, but a prostitute, a harlot. God says that he's going to use this marriage, Hosea's marriage, to a, to a woman named Gomer. He's going to use this marriage as an example to all of Israel. So Hosea marries Gomer. And in chapter 1, it tells us about the early parts of their relationship. We don't know exactly um, what, whether Gomer was, was a, a prostitute when Hosea found her and married her, or if God had told Hosea to marry her knowing that in the future, God would know in the future that she was going to be an adulteress and a, and a prostitute. We don't, we don't know that. And there's some debate, as I read through different, different books this week, there's some debate as to what that might be. I don't think it changes the story much because the picture is the same. God redeems an adulterous people and unfaithful people. 
But Gomer and Hosea get married and, and in chapter one, it talks about the early parts of, of their, of their life. They have three children together, Hosea and Gomer. The first one is a son named Jezreel. And Jezreel, uh, in, in Hebrew means scattered. And God says to Hosea when they have this very first son, says, name him Jezreel. Name him scattered. And already early in this relationship, God is beginning to point towards the wrath that is to come. God is beginning to point towards the punishment that's going to come against the people of Israel. That the people are going to be scattered. They will no longer be a a people together in a promised land. And then they have a daughter. And and her her name in in Hebrew is Lo-Rahama, or what means, if you're reading in the ESV there, it says, No Mercy, in verse 6. Her name is No Mercy. Again, a name given by God saying to the people of Israel, you're going to be scattered. There's going to be a day of wrath that comes and lands on you. You're going to be a scattered people and there will not be any mercy. And then Hosea and Gomer have a third child, another son, which they name Lo-Ami, which means not my people. That's verse 9 in chapter 1. Not my people. Three children, three names, three punishments, really, that God begins to give to the Israelite people. You're going to be scattered. There's going to be no mercy. And you who have been my people will no longer be my people. That's the prophets. There's going to be a day of wrath that comes. There's going to be a judgment against sin that comes. And it is going to be hard. It's going to be harsh. And he says... Scattered, no mercy, not my people, those are your names. But then, right away at the end of chapter 1, it turns. Because this is what the prophets do. They say, it's going to be bad, but... It's going to be horrible, but... This is what he says at the end of chapter 1. He says, yet the number of children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or number. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall instead be said to them, children of the living God... And children of Judah and children of Israel shall be gathered, it says, together. They shall appoint for themselves one head. They shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Jezreel means scattered. People are going to be scattered, but, he says at the end, but, they're going to come back. Then he says in in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, say this to to your brothers, you are my people, and to your sisters, You have received mercy. This is the story of the prophets. There's going to be this day of wrath. You're going to be scattered. There's going to be no mercy. There's going to be, you're not going to be my people anymore. But, but they will all be gathered back together. You will be my people. There will be mercy. That's the story of Hosea. And then after he tells us that first part through chapter 1, Then we jump into chapter 2 and we begin to see Gomer's betrayal of Hosea. We begin to see the wife's betrayal of her husband and that picture gets painted even more, in more detail. There's going to be wrath, but there's hope. There's hope. In chapter 2, we jump right into Gomer's betrayal of Hosea. She, She loves her husband. 
We have to start there, that Gomer loves her husband. She talks several times about wanting to come back to her husband. It's not that she doesn't love him. It's, she does. She loves him, but she also wants him and more. She wants him and her other lovers. She wants him and a little bit more. She can't be satisfied. She is not satisfied in just him. She wants him and a little bit more. Which is exactly, which is exactly the history of Israel at this time. Israel loves the one true God. They don't have any problem with the one true God, but they also love the gods of their neighbors. They love the one true God, but they also have another idol that they'll once in a while make a sacrifice to and bow down and worship. They have another God that they might say a prayer to. They love the one true God, but they want more than just their one true God. They want to mix and match. They want to put it together. Synecretism is what that's called. And the people of Israel at this time, they have turned away from the one true God and tried to mix him and match him with all kinds of other things. They haven't wholeheartedly sold out. They just have started to sell out. Gomer's betrayal, as you read through chapter 2, and we don't have time to look at all of it and read all of it, but, but her betrayal of Hosea is, it, it, it starts pretty rapidly and it moves pretty quickly and pretty smoothly. It says that Hosea gives her gifts, it talks about in chapter 2. He gives her, her food and water, which helps to cover her needs. He gives her wool and linen to cover her body. He gives her oil and drink because he wants to lavish her with pleasant things. He gives her all of these gifts. And Gomer takes these gifts from Hosea. And then the betrayal begins, it tells us in chapter 2. It says first that she, she takes the gifts from Hosea. She takes the gifts that her husband gives her, the, the food and the water, the wool and the linen, the oil and the drink, She takes those gifts and then she shares them, not with her family, not with Hosea, but she shares them instead with her, with her lovers and they use those gifts that Hosea has given to Gomer, they use those gifts in idol worship. They take the gifts that come from her beloved and she uses them in idol worship. And then, then the betrayal gets deeper because it says then that she begins to to think about those gifts that came from her husband, that came from Hosea, she begins to think of those gifts as coming from others. So first she uses them with her lovers and uses them for idol worship. And then she begins to think that they actually came from her lovers instead of from her husband. And then thirdly, she moves even one step farther in her betrayal and she begins to think that these gifts no longer just came from her lovers, but they are They are a payment for her from her lovers. That they are something that she, that she rightly deserves, that she has earned, that are hers to begin with. And then the betrayal even goes one step farther. Not only does she take the gifts from her, from her husband and share them with others and uses them in idol worship, not only does she begin to think of those gifts not as coming from him, but coming from her lovers. Not only does she begin to think of them as payment from her lovers, but then she begins to seek them out, to chase them down, to find her lovers and to chase them down so that she can receive what is rightly hers and what she needs 
to have to survive. They go from being a payment to being what is rightly hers and what she has to have and what she needs. That is the story of our relationship with God. We take gifts that God gives to us, that our beloved gives to us every gift. We take those gifts, things like the air that we breathe and the the beats of our heart, the things in the world around us. We, We take those blessings that he has bestowed and we love them. We treasure them. We love the gifts that God has given to them. We receive them well. And then we begin to take those gifts and we begin to share them with those around us. Instead of enjoying them with the one who has given them to us. Instead of enjoying them with the giver, we share them with those around us. We use them in places and ways that the one who gave them to us had no intention of those gifts being used. We use them with idol worship instead of with the one who gave them to us. How often do we think about where and what and with whom we're sharing the gifts that God has bestowed upon us? What do we spend our breath on What are the beats of our hearts being used for? Our betrayal looks a lot like Gomer's. I think we talk about this often. I think Paul might say it best for us in in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 when he says that, or in chapter 10 when he says that, that whatever we do, whether we eat, we drink, whatever we do, Whatever the beats of our heart and the breath of our lungs, wherever they go, should be for God's glory. And yet, too often, we take those gifts and we we glorify all kinds of other things. Our betrayal, our betrayal is that we begin to think the gifts that we have received from God, not only have they how do we waste them and squander them on other things? But then we begin to think that they really come from our lovers or, or that they really come from some other idol. We forsake, we forsake the giver and we look for other explanations for the gifts. We credit science for the beats of our heart. We, we think about the Big Bang as starting what happens what ends up with being the breath of our lungs and we look for all kinds of other places that these gifts might have come from Romans chapter 1 says this is what this is what our sin is that we exchange the truth of God for a lie Paul tells us and we worship and we serve created things rather than the creator We exchange the truth of God for a lie and we worship creation, created things, rather than the creator. It's not uncommon for us to see the gifts that God has bestowed upon us as something that we've 
earned, something that we have a right to, something that we deserve. What started out as a gift from our beloved is now something that was really ours all along, something that we always had. And all of the credit for that gift should go to us, not to him. Gomer quickly went from receiving gifts from her husband to seeing them as her right and just payment. She began to realize that in order to keep those gifts coming, she had to chase down her lovers. She had to chase down those ones that she was committing that affair with, those the adultery with. She had to chase them down so that she might get more of the gifts. That's what she thought. Which is exactly our relationship with God. We worship and serve created things rather than the creator. And then when times began to get tough, when, when, we, when we are worshiping our, our, ourselves and our own God and things begin to come, come up empty, we just spin faster and we work harder and we, we do more and we just can't seem to get enough. We just can't seem to get enough. We dive in even more, chasing down our lovers, trying to find the gifts that have been given and we can't seem to get them. I talk about this often. This is one of my favorite verses in Scripture, but from Jeremiah chapter 2, God speaks through Jeremiah and he says, My people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and instead, instead, they have dug for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. I think that's the picture of us. We forsake God, and then we're thirsty, and so we begin to dig a well, a cistern, and we dig, and we dig, and we dig, and we think if we dig a little bit farther and a little bit farther, we're finally going to come up with something to drink. And in the end, all that we have is a big, giant hole and a pile of dirt, and there's nothing to drink. We have two sins. We've forsaken the one who actually can quench our thirst in the first place. And we've attempted and tried on our own to find our own satisfaction or to find our own water, to find our own drink for our thirsty souls. And we come up empty. That's the betrayal of Gomer. That's the betrayal of you and I. We have forsaken the spring of living water and we dig and we dig and we dig and we do not find anything to drink. And the same is true with Gomer and Hosea. Hosea, a good and generous, a grace-filled one who loves his wife, that's who we want to identify with. That's who we want to connect with. We want to be like Hosea. But instead, it's clear all through Scripture that we are not Hosea. You and I, we are Gomer. We're the one who forsakes the gifts that come from our beloved. We think that they're ours. We, we squander them and waste them. And in the end, we turn our back on the giver. We are, you and I are, Gomer. But the story of Hosea, it's not just about betrayal. The story of the prophets is not just about betrayal. It's not just about our sin, but it's also about restoration. And in chapter 2 of Hosea, 
We hear all about how she, she takes the gifts, she thinks they're hers, she uses them with idol worship, she begins to chase down her lovers for that just payment that she has. And then, and then it makes a change. It starts right at chapter, chapter 2, but it starts at verse 14. There's a change in what happens in the story of Hosea. He says, you've taken all these gifts, you've used them on yourselves, you've chased them down, you think they're from your lovers. And then he says in verse 14, Therefore, behold, I will allure her. I will bring her into the wilderness and I will speak tenderly to her. And I will give her her vineyards and I will make the valley of Achor a day of hope. The story turns in Hosea chapter 2 verse 14. The story of restoration, the story of Hosea beginning to, to, to restore his relationship with Gomer begins with a, with a wooing it begins with a, an effort by Hosea to, to woo her back, to, to bring her in, to allure her, it says. And he says, I'm going to do it. I'm going to, to woo her back. I'm going to bring Gomer back by, by four things, he says. First, I will, I will bring her into the wilderness. I will bring her to the place, to the desert, it might say in your version. I will bring her to this place, this wasteland, this, this, this place of separation. I will bring her to the place that's the very end of the line, the bottom of the rope, the bottom of the barrel. I will bring her to the very end. And then, and then she will begin to come back to me. I will bring her to the very end. It's not, it's not, the the idea here is not a, a vindictive stripping down, but instead a cleansing. Where they finally get to the end of their rope. There's nowhere else to go. They're in the wilderness. They're in the desert. They're in the wasteland. And then, then Hosea says, I will bring her to the wilderness and I will speak tenderly to her. I will speak tenderly to her. I won't go through the list of all the things, of all the wrongs that have been committed. I won't go through the list of her sins. I won't go through all of those things, but I will speak tenderly to her. I will woo her back with loving kindness. That's what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 2. That God's kindness leads us towards repentance. That's the story of Hosea. He talks speaks tenderly to her. And then he says in verse 15, and there, after I bring her through the wilderness, after I speak tenderly to her, I will give her back her vineyards. I will give her back her vineyards. I will provide for her. And I won't just provide the necessary requirements for her to survive. I'm not just going to give her bread and water. But instead, I'm going to give her back her vineyards. I'm going to lavish my love upon her. I'm going to speak tenderly to her. And I'm going to lavish on her. I'm going to give above and beyond. I'm going to give in abundance towards her. Which is exactly what God does for us. His kindness leads us towards repentance. And then he lavishly, abundantly gives us more than what we deserve. And then he says, I'm going to make a valley of acor 
a door of hope. A valley of, I'm going to make the valley of Achor a door of hope. The valley of Achor, if you, if you know your, your, your Old Testament history very well, the valley of Achor was a, was a beach right on the edge of the Jordan River. And in the, in, in the, in the history of, of, of the Israelite people, Moses led the Israelites, he led them through the wilderness and he led them to the edge of the Jordan and, and then Joshua became the leader of the Israelite people. And he led them across the Jordan and, and they came to that first city over the Jordan as they were going to take the promised land that God had promised to them. They came to Jericho and God had given them instructions and he said, march around the city, you'll do it for seven days, you'll march around multiple times. And, and when you blow the horns, the walls will fall down and you'll, and you'll charge in and you'll take the city. And then God said to the Israelite people, when you charge in and you take the city, you need to destroy everything. There's no treasure. There's no, there's no, um, there's no gifts that you're supposed to, you're going to destroy everything. You're, this will be, this will be the instructions that you are to have. When you cross over the, the, the torn down walls, you'll destroy everything. And so the Israelites do. They, they, they march around the, the walls. You know the story. They march around the walls. The walls fall. They charge into Jericho and they destroy everything. Or so they think. And they get to the next city and, and they are, they are fired up now. They, they come to the city of Ai and they're going to, to jump into battle. They know that God is with them. They know they just destroyed Jericho and God did all of the work and, and they obeyed his instructions. They did everything they can and they come to the city of Ai and they, and they jump in to have this, this next victory and instead are roundly defeated. They're totally sunk. And they come back to the beachhead on the Jordan River, to the valley of Achor. And they set up their camp on the valley of Achor and they cry out to God and they say, God, we thought you were for us. We thought you were with us. We thought that we were going to go to this next city, the city of Ai. We thought we were going to win the battle. We thought you were on our side. And in the valley of Achor, on that beachhead there on the Jordan River, God says, I am on your side, but... But you didn't follow the instructions. They said there's someone that's, that's in your camp who didn't follow the instructions. And so they, they go through this process of narrowing down what might happen. And they come to the man named Achan. And Achan had gone in to Jericho when they had gone in to destroy everything that was in, in Jericho. He took some cups. He took some, some booty from the fight. And he kept it a secret and he dug a hole inside his tent and he, and he put this treasure in his tent and covered it up and tried to hide it. And it finally came out that, that they were to destroy everything, but Achan had taken a little bit. And so they come to the valley of Achor. This place where there was huge despair. God, what are we going to do? We thought you were on our side. They find Achan and God gives them instructions then for Achan and his family to be killed. And that killing, that, that judgment that God puts on Achan and his family, it brings them back. It brings them back into right standing with God. And they are able then to go on after that and to defeat the city of Ai. And they are to have God continues to help them and bless them as they take on the rest of the people in the promised land. They had to get rid of their sin, the valley of Achor, and then 
they would be successful as they moved on from there. Hosea says, I'm going to give her back her vineyards. I will give her an abundance. And then I'm going to make the valley of Achor a door of hope. This place, this place of despair, this place where we gathered together, where we thought God was for us, and we cried out saying, we thought you were going to help us. We thought you were going to help us win these battles. Becomes not just a place of despair, but it becomes a place of hope. Hosea, Hosea says, I'm going to woo her back. I'm going to speak tenderly to her. I'm going to give her her vineyards and give her an abundance of love. And then I'm going to provide hope. And then we come to chapter three. Five verses. But Hosea redeems his wife. The Lord said to me, go again. Love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of evil, or the children of Israel, sorry. The Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her with 15 shekels of silver and a home ran a lethic of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. You see the picture here? Hosea says, I'm going to woo her back. I'm going to bring her to a place of hope, to a place of despair which turns to hope. I'm going to bring her back. And so Hosea does. He goes probably to the place where she is in the midst of, of, of her new lifestyle, of her, of her adultery, of her prostitution. And he walks in and comes before her. She probably can't even look at him. The shame and the guilt are too much for her. She can't even fathom probably what he might be doing there. And yet she might remember somewhere deep in her heart his love was different than all of those other lovers that I've had. His love is deeper and stronger and lasting and forgiving. And Hosea comes before her and buys her back. Buys her back and brings her home and says, you are mine and I am yours. He buys her back. That's the story of redemption. That's the story of restoration. That's the story that God uses through Hosea to say, my people, they have committed a great sin. They take my gifts and they abuse them. They've squandered them. They've wasted them. They've thought that, they're their, that, they, that they are their own. The people that I created, that I made, they are worshiping other creation instead of me. Their sin is great. And Hosea buys Gomer and God purchases us. He created us. He gave us the very breath that we breathe. He causes our hearts to beat. He knew us before we came out of our mother's womb and he bought us back 
through the blood of Jesus. Romans chapter 5, it says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says that God made Jesus, who had no sin to become sin for me, that I might have the righteousness of God. God bought us back. He created us, and then he redeemed us. Jesus, the one who was spotless, the one who was without sin, the one who was perfect, became the redemption price for me. We once were his. We rebelled against him. We committed adultery. We prostituted ourselves and ran all kinds of other places looking for hope. And God wooed us back, brought us to a place of repentance, and now through the blood of Jesus has purchased us and brought us back so that we might be his and he might be ours. We have been restored. We have been rescued. We have been redeemed. This morning we're going to sing about that Redeemer. Please stand with me. Matthew's going to lead us as we sing about our Redeemer.
chapter 2 it says God says I will betroth you to me forever I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice in steadfast love and in mercy I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord that's our hope this morning that God has redeemed us let us pray God we're so grateful today for your redeeming love your rescue of sinners, your redemption of all of us who have fallen so short and taken your gifts and squandered them with others. We have committed adultery, God, and loved other things so much more than we love you. And yet you have redeemed us. You have rescued us. You have restored us. You have wooed us back. And you have made a way for us to know you. Let us rejoice this morning in that. God, convict us of those things we need to be convicted of. Cause us, bring us to repentance and help us to rejoice in our redemption. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Redeemer. Amen. Thank you for coming this morning.